Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle, your host for today's final conversation on the Speak Healing Words podcast. I know we should have done this, shoulda, 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 at the close of 2019, but I was finishing the final edits on my manuscript for my next book, which was due January 2nd, 2020, but I'm so thankful that I was able to turn it in on the last day of 2019 on the eve of a brand new decade. I really wanted to start off the new decade um, with that book in the bank. I can't wait to bring that book to you. And had a full house here for the holiday season. This was the year all my children came home with their mates. So we had a house full of love and joy and games and events and just sober mesa and cooking and baking and joy, 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 and more joy. So I wasn't able to finish our last episode of our mini-series, Reflections. So we're going to do that today. We're going to get that done and close out my reflections, my reflections on the decades of my life thus far. Having turned 60 in October 2019, I have walked through all the decades of my life, hopefully with hindsight guiding and leading me to give you wisdom for your decades, for your life. My goodness, if aging doesn't allow us wisdom, (laughs) wisdom to share with those following behind us, then what's the good use of aging, right? So I want to start today with reflections on regret. Regret's a big word, and we've talked about it some in our conversations here on Speak Healing Words, the podcast, but we're going to talk about it a little bit more today, and we're going to talk about shame a little bit more today. So sometimes followers get lost. Yes, they do. And somewhere in my sixth decade of life, those years 50 to 59, I got lost. Yeah, I got, I got really lost, actually. Very, very, very lost. It, it wasn't obvious from the outside, as I seemed to really have nailed down how to live behind a facade. <laughs> Not proud of it. I just have mastered it in my life, probably from being on stage For most of my life, I know how to put on the face. I know how to put on the persona. I know how to put on the performance. But in this decade, this sixth decade, ages 50 to 59, God, in his divine mercy, began to peel away my 
the final pieces of my facade and he made it very, very difficult for me to not live an authentic life. My sixth decade started really well. I went back to school to obtain my master's degree to become a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I've talked all about that journey. One by one, my three children flew away from the nest. Some really far, one really far away and the other two far away. And they still today live, my oldest lives in Uruguay, South America, and my twins live in Kansas and Missouri. So having them home every other Christmas is a true, true delight. I just can't express to you how awesome it is to have them home together for the holidays. And I always want to experience every single moment of it. Also in this decade, I somehow managed to publish my second book, and uh, that was a great feat. But in the in-between, life for me got really hard. My identity as a mother faced a serious transition period. Oppressive words and actions were thrown my way unexpectedly within the walls of my church and my church family. And that deteriorated rapidly an already weak emotional state that was I was in. A daughter faced a life-altering brain surgery during this decade. Then my aging mother, two years later, faced brain surgery. And she then entered a season of one medical emergency after another. I spent a great deal of this decade in waiting rooms. And I write all about that in Overcoming Hurtful Words, my my current book. And waiting rooms became sacred spaces in my life. You know, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, waiting rooms often took um, different forms. Maybe the belly of a whale, a lion's den, a sheep pasture, oh, pits. <laughs> The back of a camel. Joseph was thrown on the back of a camel. Dungeons, jails, shipwrecks, wilderness periods. For me, waiting rooms were literal waiting rooms in many, many hospitals for many years. And so waiting rooms became sacred spaces in which I spent this decade and in this decade, uh, we also left a, our home church. And if I'm honest, I wasn't quite sure I ever wanted to go back to church. So I haven't openly spoken about this uh, in any great detail. But being true to who I am with you, I want to be authentic. I want to be transparent. I want to be vulnerable. I want us to grow together. And if I'm not willing to be transparent, then where will we go? I mean, that's beautiful process of transformation is to have a growth mindset and be vulnerable. So I had a complete and total crisis of faith in this decade. As hard as this is to talk about for me, I just, I commit to it. I will only be honest with you. Honest to a fault sometimes people say, but honest I am going to be and always will be. 
As Greg Lavoie writes in my new favorite book, I've talked a lot about it here and I'm calling it actually my manual for life. Callings, some of the stories I wanted to write, he says, would necessitate that I awake, that I awaken sleeping giants that I didn't want to disturb. Hmm. Let me just say that again. He said in order for him to write the stories that he wanted to write in the form of essays, he would have to awaken sleeping giants that he didn't want to disturb. In order to write with any authority, he says, I would have to relive some of my past. I really don't want to relive my past, but in order to write with any authority, and then I added authenticity, I find I must. And I agree so much with Greg Lavoie's words here that... Uh, when I was writing and finishing this next book coming out next January 2021, I kicked and screamed towards God that I did not want to awaken some sleeping giants. And I tried to not write about it and avoid it and tried to say, how is something that happened in my life 30 years ago, 40 years ago, going to help someone today. But God didn't relent and he required me to awaken some sleeping giants of shame and regret that I did not want to awaken. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, am I glad I did. (sighs) Listen to these words by Christopher Germer in The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion. When we fight emotional pain, we get trapped in it. Difficult emotions become destructive and break down the mind, body, and spirit. Feelings get stuck, frozen in time, and we get stuck in them. The happiness we long for in relationships seems to elude us. We drag ourselves through the day arguing with our physical aches and pains. Oh boy. Usually we're not aware just how many of these trials have their root and how we relate to the inevitable discomforts of life. Change comes naturally when we open ourselves to emotional pain with uncommon kindness. Change comes naturally. Oh, lean in here. When we open ourselves to emotional pain with uncommon kindness. So that, that's, I'm going to add here, just that's the secret to what I was just um, sharing that when we awaken sleeping giants, you know, we don't want to relive our past. But as I say in our community, the Heartlift Method requires for us to bring our past right here in the lapse of our present in order to make meaning and sense of it so that we can make peace with it in order to live into our vision of victory and inevitably find our way to living in true freedom. Well, that is what this decade in my life, this reflections on regret, facing opening up the closet door and allowing the skeletons to come out bone by bone enabled me when I applied self-compassion and uncommon, uncommon kindness to it, 
It enabled me to make meaning of it. And that is what we are doing here. We are making meaning, making sense of our past in order to be free. So Germer continues, instead of blaming, criticizing, and trying to fix ourselves for someone else or the whole world, when things go wrong and we feel bad, we can start with self-acceptance. Oh, so good. I can't even handle it. Just so, so, so good. So during this sixth decade, uh, it seemed I was still accomplishing quite a bit on the outside. It's what it looked like. But privately, I was really in a crisis of faith. I was in one of those belly of the whales, lion's den, fiery furnace, shipwreck seasons. I think I can better define this decade as actually a crisis of church going. My crisis didn't involve God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. It involved the ways and manners in which evangelicals, as we call them, were doing church. Somewhere in the middle of those ways and manners of doing church, I got lost. I got so lost. I couldn't find authenticity. And I couldn't find it, especially in my own life. Who on earth was I? The existential question, who am I, kept me up at night. It actually kept me walking in a, in a vacant field for four hours, one dark night of my soul, screaming and screaming and screaming and wrestling and praying and screaming, <laughs> wrestling with God. What on earth am I doing here? What is faith about? Is it about busyness? Is it about works? Is it about, what is it about? In many ways, I went from the very far right to the far middle left, at least in my perceptions, and privately found myself without the compass I had carried for so long. When I became a follower of Jesus my senior year in college at the age of the eve of being 21, I truly became hyper-spiritual. I really like to say that now as I'm reflecting back. I was, you know, religion, spirituality became being a good girl became my religion, became my faith. I became obsessed with being perfect in God and, and, and not disappointing God. So I had a very unhealthy relationship, I'd like to say, with my faith. And the unhealthy ways and manners of my family of origin transitioned into my family of faith. And I I talk about this earlier, so I don't want to go into depth with that, but I just lost the compass. And if I'm really honest with you, which I try to be, I think my compass wasn't pointing towards true north. Yeah, I'm just having this revelation right now. So work with me as I process this download, actually, because I wrote on today's blog what we're talking about. So you can go over to the blog and, and get some more resources and information on this conversation 
But on the blog, I merely wrote that I found myself without the compass I had carried for so long. But as I'm processing, because I'm an oral processor, I think my compass that I was carrying was not headed towards true north. It was headed towards a false reality of a Western tradition of faith that was calling me to do more, do more, do more. The more you do, the better you look, the better you feel about yourself. So bear with me. In his work, The Courageous Follower, author and executive coach Ira Chalif writes, followers and leaders both orbit around the purpose. Followers do not orbit around the leader. Somewhere along my spiritual journey, church, the church life, the Western way of doing church, and orbiting around the leaders in those churches had become my identity, my personality. And remember, personality is how we show up for life. It's not our true essence. It's the nature versus nurture. So I believe here in this community in Genesis 2-7 that God breathed his big God-sized breath and endowed each one of us with his nature and his, his purpose, passion, and convictions for our life. He gave us our minds, our bodies, our spirits, our souls, our talents, our gifts, our capacity to overcome, our capacities to be resilient. Everything we needed for this life that he gave us is was in that breath. And so I found myself following men and women and seeking public platforms and praises and applause and affirmations of others within that realm instead of following Christ. I began following man's ways of following Christ. I hope this makes sense. You know, religion can can be about rules and legalistic traditions and regulations and laws. But do you see Christ came to set us free? Jesus came to show us a new way of living out our lives, a new way of faith, a, a life of love, a life of repentance and grace and transformation and Beauty, not a life filled with doing, 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 doing. In fact, my husband and I had a conversation when I was finishing the book in December. I I was writing a statement in the new book that, you know, I just really don't think Jesus shamed anybody. And my husband's like, oh, I think you're wrong. (laughs) I think you need to think about putting, you know, really think about that because Jesus actually Okay, did he actually shame? That's a deeper question. But he actually spoke very strongly with authority to the religious leaders of the day. And he called them, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look really good on the outside, but on the inside, you're just whitewashed tombs. You're just dead. They they were so legalistically tied to being perfect and they judged everyone around them who wasn't meeting the standard. 
And so Jesus, you know, did he shame them? I'm going to leave that for another conversation. But I came away from my study for this new book in the chapter that ended up taking on a life of its own about shaming and not living in shaming anymore, but living in gracing, I came away feeling like we have a different understanding of shame than I think Jesus did. Shame is not even mentioned in the scriptures, but ashamed is. And so ashamed would be um, something that would lead us to conviction, that would lead us to um, changing our ways. It would help us to be feel guilty about our, uh, our wrong deeds. We're not bad, but what we do might be bad. And so my value, worth, and dignity then depended on winning the favor of these particular men and women in the community of faith and church leadership so that I would feel better about myself and I would feel better about my purpose on earth. Well, you see, I write extensively on this in Overcoming Hurtful Words. My identity is in Christ. Genesis 2-7 proves that. He breathed everything into me and he, I was pleasing, so pleasing to him that he stepped back and he went, wow, that, that was, that's really good. That creation of Janelle is really good and I'm very proud of her and I love her just like she is. My identity doesn't depend on disordered attachments like how involved I am in a church or how many good works that I do or how many accolades I get for being a great person. No, those are just beautiful expressions of my identity and I I want to do good and I want to make the world a better place through my gifts and talents and my influence, but my identity doesn't depend on that. My identity is secure in my reflection in God and in Christ. So I have many, many regrets from my sixth decade. Yeah, I do. I'm going to just say it. Some that are close to me tell me I'm being really hard on myself. And yeah, I am. I'm really hard on myself. I feel like I'm a teacher. And in the word of God, James 3, 1 says, if you're going to be a teacher, you're going to be held by a higher standard. Um, not perfection, but movement towards maturity. And so I do hold myself uh, to a higher standard. Probably saw God in that lens, not probably did, and have learned quite a bit about God's love and grace and acceptance of me. So they're, they're right on one hand. Um, but on the other hand, one truth that I'm really certain about in that decade, that sixth decade, was that I needed to get lost. <laughs> yeah, I needed to get really lost. Because getting lost required that I get directions. That I ask for, for directions. And I'm going to add, since we're getting this download here while I'm oral processing, I needed a new compass. I needed the compass that pointed to true north. Oh, man, that is really resonating with me. I hope it's resonating with you as well. 
what, where, where is your compass pointing today? We need to take stock in this. Is it pointing true north? And what is your true north? My true north is most definitely Jesus. Not a manufactured, fabricated, legalistically taught list of rules and regulations Jesus, but the the real Jesus. And I've probably spent the last year of my last decade, last year 59 to 60, sitting at the well because the woman at the well in John 4 is the heroine, the protagonist of my next book. And so as I had to sit at the well and really read and listen and think and ponder and study about that encounter at an ordinary well in Samaria, I too sat down next to an authentic Jesus and it shook me to my core and changed me on the deepest level. Because you see, Jesus, he went out of his way to find that woman. Oh, yes, I'm sure it was definitely providential, strategic, absolutely God directed him there. His father said, there's going to be this woman. You've got to meet her at noon at the well. She doesn't go in the morning when other women go because she's just so ashamed of her life. And she just lives under a mantle of shame. And so you're going to upset everybody's apple cart by going there because Jews weren't allowed to go through Samaria. So he did anyway. This is the man I call Jesus. And I love him so dearly because he really didn't care. He was about his father's business. And he talks to this woman and he's not supposed to. And he, he absolutely tells her her whole life story. And he doesn't shame her. He doesn't say, oh, you are just a terrible human being. Shame on you. He says... Yeah, I know all about your life. You've had five husbands. Yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. And they have this beautiful conversation and he finally just says, hey, listen, I have this water (laughs) that you will, it will change your life. It's the living water that flows from my belly. (laughs) Living water. And it can bubble up in you, beautiful woman, and it, You'll never go thirsty. You'll never need to come to this well again. And he's, of course, speaking in uh, metaphorical language. And she gets it. She is changed. Her life is altered. She goes from shaming to understanding the power of grace. I want to read this to you. It's in the new book. And it comes from my favorite psychiatrist, Dr. Kurt Thompson, and his book, The Soul of Shame. So that woman needed a new compass, right? I needed a new compass. She needed a new compass. Maybe you need a new one today. A compass that points true north. He writes, shame's presence is ubiquitous and inserts itself into the genetic material of the human storytelling endeavor. He encourages us to envision a shame as a personal attendant. I think I've probably read this before, but it's worth reading again. 
Imagine that you have a completely devoted attendant attuned to every sensation, image, feeling, thought, and behavior you have. However, imagine that your shame's attendant's intention is not good. All right, see this visual of an attendant, right? Someone um, like in early England who a butler that takes care of the, the man of the house or a maid that takes care of the woman of the house. Well, this attendant's intention is not good. It is not to care for you, but rather to infuse nonverbal and verbal elements of judgment into every moment of your life. The word attendant at first may seem counterintuitive as it usually applies to someone who has your best interest in mind. But this is how shame works. Shame is a wolf disguised in sheep's clothing. Oh, hence our shame attendant appears in language, feelings, sensations, and images that may on the surface seem acceptable, common, and normal, but its purpose is anything but helpful. Okay, I continue to write in this new chapter in my next book, My personal shame attendance pummeled my thought life, persistently whispering to me, good girls don't get pregnant out of wedlock. Good girls follow all the rules. Good girls never make mistakes, Janelle. Mm -mm. Good girls always do what is expected of them. Only good girls who do good deeds get into heaven. And perhaps the most damaging whisper of all the whispers, and this has gone through most of the decades of my life, but showed up fiercely in this past decade from 50 to 59. When and if you show your true self, nobody will love you. You will be all alone. When and if you show your true self, Janelle, you will be all alone. Well, I am showing my true self now. I am my true self. I feel like in the last year of that decade of 50 to 59, I came home to my true essence. And I talk about that in last couple episodes listen to your body and transitions so I think of this season that season reflections on regret and shame ages 50 to 59 for me as a season where I I actually a, a new compass that was pointing true north got placed in my hand and I am holding it with the deepest sense of gratitude I'm so humbled and so grateful that My father in heaven, his son, Jesus, and his comforter, the Holy Spirit, showed up in the darkest nights of my soul in vacant fields of shame and put into my hand a new compass. I'm going to create a meditation on this for the new book. I just am getting such a beautiful picture of a meditation, a meditative exercise called holding a new compass. Oh, thank you, God. It's just so good to be alive and to be hearing his voice. 
So the many roads of regret helped me find the highway towards wholeness. Yeah. The many roads of regret helped me find the highway towards wholeness. No longer am I listening to the whispers, the shameful whispers of an awful shame attendant. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. No. I am connected and I understand this beautiful gift of grace that God has given to each one of us through his son, Jesus. Oh, so powerful. The poet David White speaks of regret in such a meaningful way. He writes, regret is a short, evocative, and achingly beautiful word, an elegy to lost possibilities. To admit regret is to understand we're fallible. That there are powers in the world beyond us. Fully experienced, regret turns our eyes. Attentive and alert to a future possibly lived better than our past. Oh, write this down. Stop the tape. Listen and lean in to his words. This beautiful promise. Fully experienced, regret turns our eyes. Attentive and alert to a future possibly lived better than our past. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Shame researcher, one of our favorite writers, authors here, counselors, Brene Brown, adds this. Owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running away from it. Oh, I'm so glad. I stopped running away. I'm right. I'm saying this now. I am so encouraging you. Stop running away from your past, your story, from your regrets. Turn towards them. Fully embrace them. If you need help, I'm here. Our community is here. 2020, we're putting on new glasses. We're running towards our failures, our regrets, our shame language that's followed us around way too long. Oh yeah, we're not running away from it anymore. We're gonna, we're gonna face it, we're gonna fight it, we're gonna finish it so that we can move into our beautiful God-breathed life. Brene continues, embracing our vulnerability is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy, the experiences that make us most vulnerable. Only when you and me are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of light. Oh, yes. (laughs) Sometimes we have to get lost in order to find a new way of living our lives. Sometimes we have to get lost. And sometimes we have to find a new compass that's pointing true north. Because we, our compasses have been pointing towards man-made directions, legalistic rules and regulations, oppressive, heavy, shoulds and shoulds and shouldologies. (sighs) Wow. Sometimes we have to get lost and we have to meet regret face to face so she can lead us to see our humanity and frailty 
and guide us to a future possibly live better than our past. I want you to live this new decade, 2020, and I'm committed to living my new decade. I really didn't correlate that, man, I was closing out a decade of my life and also we were closing out a decade in time. So 2020 and my seventh decade of life, 60 to 69, I feel closer to God than ever. I'm holding a compass that's pointing true north, and it feels so good. Ah, oh, my crisis of faith became a crucible of hope for me, extracting the dross of unhealthy, disabling patterns and illuminating healthy, empowering practices that I now live daily. I've shaken off shame, and I feel as if I've come home to the woman God created me to be. I've never felt more whole, more healthy, more at peace with myself. And I want more for you too. In this week's newsletter, please subscribe, JanelleRearden.com, to the newsletter, the podcast, the blog. You will read all about my one word for 2020, and it is, drumroll, you guessed it, more. M-O-R-E. I want more. I want more health. I want more freedom. I want more dance and joy and life, more resilience, more strength, more power. I want more peace and I want it for you too. Let's believe God for more of all things life-giving. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it together. You know, it's so much better together. So before we leave, because, man, I've gone over again, I'm going to give you a little preview from the new book coming next January. Ugh, so far away. I call it the shame shake-off prayer. Maybe you have had many shame attendants following you through many decades. Well, 2020, it's time to say goodbye. It's time to shake them off, just like Taylor Swift. Put that Shake It Off song by Taylor Swift on and shake it off. Here we go. That is a lie. When you hear that shame whisper, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say the shame shake-off prayer. That's a lie. A big, fat shame lie. Today, I believe the truth about myself. I am lovable. I am worthy of connection. I make mistakes. I am not a mistake. I fail. I am not a failure. Even at my lowest, I have value, worth, and dignity. Even in my tightest spots, I matter. Even when I make a mess of things, I am loved, deeply loved, and accepted by God. From this day forward, I will do my best to tell the whole truth and nothing but the whole truth, so help me, God. No hiding behind facades or pretense or excuses or denial. I release the shame narrative and embrace the healing words of my heavenly father who breathed his breath into me. From this moment on, I walk with my head held high. From this moment on, I live forgiven, free, and full of faith. From this moment on, I offer the gift of grace to myself and to others. From this moment on, I speak healing words to God, myself, and others. From this moment on, I live into the meaningful new life God has for me. From this moment on, I am stronger than ever. Amen.
That, my friends, is a powerful way to enter 2020. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's make 2020 our best year ever and make this decade our strongest one ever. I'm here for you. You're here for me. Me plus you equals we. And I'm so excited. So I have a lot of new, beautiful things coming down uh, this year, and I just can't wait to share it all with you. So thank you for being a part of the Speak Healing Words community and podcast. We are now, I'm, I'm rolling the drums, here you go, drum roll. We are now moving into our new, our new 2020 vision, Stronger Than Ever, an online community committed to, to, committed to the threefold cord of emotional health and wellness. Healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, and a healthy communication, healthy communication skills. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Me plus you equals we. So from this point on, our podcast, our online community, all, all the things, our brand new Stronger Than Ever blog is coming, our community blog, our community um, podcast filled with conversations. Our podcast now is going to evolve into not just me, but me plus you equals we. So hopefully we'll be interviewing and having great conversations that will make each and every one of us stronger than ever, heart, mind, and body. Until next time, always remember, you have value, worth, and dignity. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.